Psalm 26, we're going, to, we're going to read this together. It's a short psalm. And as everyone is turning to Psalm 26, which is about in the middle of your Bible, this morning I want to preach a message called The Importance of Having Biblical Convictions and standards. And uh, we're going to see a, a bit of this through Psalm 26. Uh, we'll read it and then we're going to uh, go over some teaching and discussion and then also we'll come back to it and learn a little bit more about some of these convictions that David had. And uh, so let's go ahead and read together uh, verses 1 through 12. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved thy habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and the right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. All right, let's go ahead, go Lord, in prayer, and we'll get into this morning's message. Father, we do thank you so much again, Lord, for um, your great grace. Lord, I, I know I thank you all the time for it, and it's only because of your grace that we even have salvation. And Lord, as we look at this morning's message, I just pray that you would speak to hearts. Uh, God, we need to have some, uh, some convictions and standards in our life of, of what we know is right and wrong. And, and God, you have given us your word so that we can know what your standards are, what your convictions are. And we're going to look at that this morning. And I just ask God that you would, again, just speak to hearts, Lord, that you would move upon hearts. Lord, if there's some things that need to be worked on between uh, people and you, Lord, that you would just um, uh, make it evident, make it clear. God, we just need you this morning, and we do thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can be seated. All right. Now, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been learning a lot as pastor's been preaching about the kingdom laws, and uh, he's been explaining uh, Matthew chapter 5 and and he's going to be going through chapters 5 through 7 and, and explaining a lot of the principles behind it. And as we learn uh, these great things and these truths and principles from Scripture, we need to apply them to our lives in order to further develop our walk with God and with men. But in order to learn and to begin to learn the, the importance of having biblical convictions and standards, we need to know and understand what these words mean even mean? I mean, what is a conviction? What is a standard? Well, I want to uh, tell you briefly this morning, um, a conviction is a fixed or a firmly held belief 
about right and wrong that will not be crossed. Uh, now, most of us probably in here have a strong conviction that abortion is murder. Because it's, a, it's a clear as night and day that it is right and wrong. To, you know, it's wrong to, to perform abortion, to, to kill a child uh, while it's still in the womb. It's wrong to do. Most of us, I would say, pretty much all of us, would say that it is, a, it is wrong to, have, to, to rape somebody. We would say that, yeah, that's, that's absolutely wrong. It's wrong, to, it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to, to have these things. Well, conviction is that, that firmly and fixed held belief that will not be crossed. Now, a standard are morals, ethics, habits, principles, and integrity that are established by an authority as acceptable. Uh, for example, um, uh, it is moral and, and, and ethically sound not to or to choose not to take drugs, uh, or to drink alcohol and, and get drunk and 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 allow it to to uh, determine what your actions are. We would say, well, yeah, it's very ethical not to do that. Um, there's a little bit of a difference there. But every person this morning has convictions and standards about what they believe in. Now, often these are based upon the approval of their peers, the culture, or the society around them. Now, is there really that big of a difference, though, between what the world teaches and says is okay compared to what the Bible says? Are the convictions and the standards between the two that different? Well, this morning I want to take a look at them and to make a bit of a comparison. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is the world's view of convictions and standards. You see, the world teaches that if something makes me happy, and if it is legal, then no one should stop me from doing what I want to do. That's what the world would say. If it's legal, and, it, and if it's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But when you look at things, and especially a couple of these examples, you'll see, well, it's not really a, a wise application or a wise thought. For example, is alcohol legal to use? Absolutely. It's probably one of the uh, the biggest things that Ireland here uh, deals with. But yet alcohol is the number one drug that destroys everything it touches. It destroys marriages, it destroys your health, it destroys friendships, it destroys everything. And yet it is legal to do here. Are death sticks and tobacco legal? Yes, they are. Yet hospitals all over the world are filled with people dying from them because of lung throat, and lip cancers. Now, I know that I'm kind of being facetious with this one, but are Tato cheese and onion crisps and Snickers bars legal to eat? Yes, they are. <laughs> but yet, they contribute to poor health. And if consumed abundantly, it's not good. Is it legal to go to a disco or a nightclub at 1 a.m.? Yes, it is. Yet, so much evil and wickedness is done to and by people who expose themselves to this kind of atmosphere. Is pornography legal to watch and view? Yes, it is. And even produce it. Yet, pornography has destroyed and scarred so many minds, homes, hearts, and even bodies. See, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And fornication is anything that is a sexual sin outside of marriage. 
And that is not just a physical act, but it's also what you do with your mind. That is also fornication. The lust that you allow conceived in your mind. So what's the point? The point is, is that just because something is legal to do here in Ireland does not mean it's necessarily good for you. There is a lot of people misled and completely fooled by the devil because, well, the, the world and the culture says, it's okay. Yeah, if you want to do that, go ahead and do it. And yet they destroy their lives because of it. Oftentimes it creates a mentality of, well, if I want to do something and I don't think it's wrong, then I should be allowed to just go ahead and do it anyway. And this is why uh, sexual abuse is such a big problem in most countries. Because I say, well, it's something that I think is right, it's what I want, and they do it. See, people are molded by the world's pressures and their standards of living. See, different cultures have different degrees of what is right and wrong. What may be acceptable and legal in one culture does not mean it is legal and right in another. And the reason there is so much variableness is because there is no absolute authority. Worldly convictions and standards are always changing, and they're different from each with, with each culture and even in time periods. Uh, just kind of give you a few examples here. Now, most of the ladies probably would say, oh, that's a beautiful dress. But with that dress also came with the corsets. And, uh, you know, back in those days, the thinner your waist, the more beautiful you were. And um, <laughs> I'm sure most ladies here are glad that they're not being judged and have to wear corsets every single day, you know, or try to, 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 to mold themselves into an image of what they think beauty is. Um, how about these guys? These are some tribal warriors from Papua New Guinea. Uh, this, is, this is their natural attire, and this is, this is what uh, uh, they dress up as. How about this one? This is actually in, in, um, in Thailand. Uh, so these are women who, that's how they extend their necks, because they're extending their neck is seen as beauty. Um, how about that one? You know, I mean, I know sometimes we laugh about it, but to these cultures, to these people, this is a big deal. This is something that is highly favored and cherished in their culture. We look at it and say, That's, why, why would they be doing that? You know, it's, it's not right. It's, it's, it's not healthy for them. But yet, this is what culture, this is what the world says in their culture, this is okay to do. But I want to go and actually share with you, though, biblical view of convictions and standards. You see, a biblical conviction, though, is something that God's Word teaches as being right and wrong and does not change over time or from culture to culture. See, these are specifically to their culture, to their time period, to what they are dealing with. Whereas the Bible transcends culture, it transcends time, and the, the, the standards and the convictions of the Bible, they do not change. You know, we look at Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. These are things that God said is, you know, that you shall not do. He didn't change His mind 4,000 years later. It's still wrong to do. And the Bible 
is full of what God says are good and what should we should be abstained from. See, God has convictions and standards that He says are good to have and that we should live by. And these are outlined throughout the Bible. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, will teach you what is right and wrong if you will listen to Him through preaching and reading your Bible. See, biblical convictions are given by God to keep people from destroying their lives and to be able to serve the Lord. That's why He gives warning after warning after warning in His Word about the consumption of alcohol. Because He knows that it is very easy to, to cross over for, well, just have a couple of drinks and to, to being a drunkard. He knows that it's very easy uh, uh, and, and deals with uh, different things with, with our health because he knows that the flesh just craves more and more and more and more and it will destroy people. And so he sets out convictions and standards saying, look, I don't want you to be a part of that. I want you to be set aside because I want to use you as a holy vessel and to, to minister and to serve other people. You see, biblical convictions bring people to God's standard of approval rather than to man's standard of approval. Now, God doesn't love anybody less because they might have different standards in their life, but God will use people differently depending on how you live your life for Him. God blesses those who live by His Word. In His Word, He promises length of days and peace to those who live by His Word. A biblical conviction must be personal. It cannot be someone else's or just what your church teaches. It has got to be something that you decide for yourself, and you need to study it out like the Bereans did when they heard Paul preach. When Paul was preaching about the gospel, what did they do? They went and they searched the Scriptures to make sure, is what he's saying true, what that they should do? And when you, when you hear about convictions and standards and things like that, you need to search God's Word and say, is this, is this true? Is this what I should be living my life by? Or, or am I just doing what my church says to do? You need to, to, to have these convictions for your own life, not just what maybe your, your, your parents' convictions are, but you need to make a decision and say, you know what, I'm going to make that conviction, what that standard is, what God says is good. I want to make that in my life. You see, I believe this is why a lot of young people stop going to church when they become an adult or even a, a teenager when they're given that decision. You see, going to church may have been their parents' conviction, but it never became their own. They viewed it as a yoke of bondage rather than a lifeboat amid the stormy sea of this world. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful for the teenagers that we have in this church. We've got some great teenagers. But where are you on Sunday night? Where are you on Wednesday nights? Where are you when we, we come together and study God's Word? You need to come together and, and learn about God. I'm, I'm thankful that you're here this morning. I really am. But did you come here because your parents forced you to come here? Or did you come here this morning and say, you know what, I want to come to church this morning? You need to have that conviction saying, is this something that I want in my life to be with the people of God? You see, but sadly though, Christians in general no longer influence the world around them. Instead, they have allowed the world's convictions to influence them into what is right and wrong. For example, abortion, gay marriage, uh, the transgender. The world is now telling them, Christians, what is right and acceptable, 
rather than the other way around where in, the Christians are supposed to have the influence. You see, most Christians today look, sound, act, think, and partake in everything that the world does. Christian churches are more focused on entertainment and feelings than hearing and being taught the truths of God's Word and living by them. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, this is something that God really specifies, and, and the Corinthian church was having these issues. You know, they were, they were allowing the, the world's uh, philosophies, the, the world's influences to come in and, and to, uh, to corrupt things. And Paul here is writing through the, the, uh, the influence of the Holy Spirit a warning, not just to them, but to us. And, to, and we need to make sure that we take heed for it. Look at verse number 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says here, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord or joining hath Christ with Belial? Belial is a demon, devil. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, here Paul's not writing saying, look, you need to come out of the world and become a monk. Go live into an island, an isolated island, and just you know, live somewhere in your own little habitation, away from all the pressures of the world. That's not what he's talking about here. What he is saying here is, is Christians need to, uh, to, to be different than the world. Not just going by and, and doing what the world says okay, but by, to, by, by living in what, to, what God says is okay. That separation is, is sanctification. When you allow God uh, through the Holy Spirit to start pruning some things that the worldliness that, that may have been in our life before we got saved, allowing that, that the Holy Spirit to, to trim some of those things and to help us to grow in our relationship with Christ. Look, none of us were perfect when we first got saved. We all had baggage. We all had to learn, what does the Bible say? What does God teach? Is this good? Is this bad? We all had to go through that. None of us in here were perfect when we first got saved. Some, it took many years to grow and understand what the Bible teaches. There's nothing wrong with that. We all grow at a different pace. Some grew really quickly and said, okay, I understand that. I'm going to make that and apply that to my life. But here, Paul is warning the Christian church, you've got to make sure that you're not going along with the world. Because when you go along with the world, you're, you're, you're fellowshipping with darkness, and you're no longer the light. And that's what's happening to a lot of Christians. Is that instead of making an impact on the world, the world is making an impact on the church. But what are some biblical convictions? Now we understand, we understand that it's good to have Bible convictions. We understand that there's a difference. But what are some of them? And how do you learn biblical convictions? 
there's three main ways. First is through the preaching of God's Word. That's what pastor's job and, and our job is, to come here and say, thus saith the Lord. That's what the prophets did. They, they warned the people, saying, look, it's not good what you're doing. This is what God says you're supposed to do. That's what preaching's all about. Uh, secondly, studying the Bible and reading it for yourself. Again, uh, things that you believe, things that, that you take for, that you hear preached, you need to make sure that you study the Scripture and say, you know what, he's right. That is what God's Word says and to apply it to your life, and to live by it. And thirdly, by seeking godly counsel from older and more mature Christians. You know what? Some, some of our, our, our older uh, generation of Christians, they, they, they've been through some things. They've seen some changes in society and culture. Say, so you know what? what? What's acceptable today and what was acceptable back then, they've seen the difference. Say, so you know what? No, it was better back in those days. You know, it was safer. You know, you didn't have, you didn't, I mean, I, I remember even growing up, you know, back home in, in Michigan, we never had to lock our door because <laughs> it was expected that no one's going to break in your door. You know, there was that safety, that general, that general safety. But now you don't dare leave your door unlocked. What's changed? The world has. There's no longer that safety there. And as we study God's Word, he will show you what is right, what is true. Let's go back to Psalm 26. And I want to look again at some of the words of David here and see what some of his convictions were that he sought to live his life by. Now, I'm only briefly touching on some of these convictions. There, there are a lot of different things, a lot of standards that God teaches we could be here for a month of Sundays that are good. And I wish I could, do, I could take time and, and talk about every single one of them because we do need to learn them. We do need to know what God says about things. And I, I'm not going to be able to take that time, but I, I want to just kind of briefly hit over hit some of them this morning. Now look at verses 1 through 3. Here David, you can, you can almost see him pleading with God and, and praying with God. He said, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. Now, was David absolutely perfect? No. He had his faults, he had his trials and his troubles that he went through his life. But in general, through his life, he sought to live a godly and a holy and a righteous walk. That's what integrity is. He says, I have trusted also in the Lord. That was, that's who gave him his integrity. You know, when you try to follow what God's law says, that's what gave him that integrity that righteousness. He said, therefore, I shall not slide. Meaning, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to slide away. I'm not going to backslide. That's where, you, that's where you hear the term backsliding. That's where this, that's come from. I'm not going to lose the momentum that, that I have in my life. He says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Jump down to verse number 9. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. So here in his own words, you're seeing that he has made a decision 
that he's going to be careful of the company that he keeps. He's going to be careful of who he surrounds himself with. It's a good warning for you and I to be careful of who our friends are and the company that we keep. See, the dissemblers in here that he's talking about, these vain persons, these empty people, there's, there's a lot of people who really, they, they don't really benefit people. And they, they, they live their life and they act as a fool. You know, they say there is no God that, and they just live for themselves and they get themselves in trouble. That would be a vain person. He's saying don't be around those kind of people because they're, they're going to drag you down with them. Dissemblers are habitual liars. So he said, you know what, I'm not going to hang around people who are constantly lying. Because if they, they will lie about everything else, then one day they're going to lie about you too. And if it's going to save their neck, they're going to blame you. That's what they do. You see, the people that you surround yourself with are what you will most likely become. See, Proverbs 24.1 says here, it says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Proverbs 22.24 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. These are warnings that God is saying, look, be careful of the company that you keep, because you will do what you, the company that you surround yourself with. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with that voice of thanksgiving, and tell of all thy wondrous works. And so he says here, he's showing us that he's not going to partake in wicked things. He wanted to make sure that his heart was right with God and experiencing the joy that comes from living a clean life that isn't constantly scarred by sin. I mean, you know, when you when you go to wash your hands, there's a reason why you're washing your hands, isn't there? To get them clean. He understands that through life, there's going to be times where he's going to sin and he's going to, he's going to mess up. But he, his desire is, is, I want to make sure that when I go and, and worship God, I want to make sure that I'm clean. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing this in innocency, that everything is, is perfect between me and God. Look at verse number 8. It says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Jump down 11 and 12. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregation will I bless the Lord. You see here that David enjoyed being in church. He enjoyed going down and, and worshiping God. He knew that church was where a believer should be and where God's honor is magnified. Now, we can worship God and we can honor God anywhere. But there is a special place when you gather together as believers together. That's why God says where two or three are gathered, there will I be. You know, there's a specialness there. Hebrews 10.25, we know it. Most of us here could probably quote it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. You know what? We're, we need to be, as we see the world getting darker and darker and darker, that should be even more reason for us to get together as believers, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. That's what a church family does, is to help one another. 
Psalm 122.1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But what are some other convictions and standards that the Bible teaches? Well, I just want to go over just a few of them this morning. The Bible does teach that about what you should look at and watch on TV, including movies and entertainment. Say, well, the TV wasn't invented back then. Agreed. But there's principles there that apply to our life today. Look at Psalm 101. Psalm 101. Now, I've got plenty of verses, and, and, and we'll go through some of them. But for sake of time, we might just read a few of them. Psalm 101, verse number 3. Again, this is another psalm of David. He says here, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. So here David is saying, you know what? I'm not going to put something that's evil and wicked in front of my eyes because look, the things that you watch are implanted into your brain and it is very difficult to get them out of your head. And so you may see some, some things on TV and, you know, it's good entertainment, but they will leave scars in your head. Job 31.1, he says here, I made a covenant with mine eyes. This is Job saying, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You know, a maid was, well, it could be any lady that was not, his, not your wife. So he said, you know what, I'm not going to look upon another woman. Job said this. Matthew 5.28 But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And it doesn't just apply to men. It applies both ways. See, the minds of Christians are constantly filled with lustful images, violence, perversion, and sometimes Christians wonder why they have no peace in their life. Why, why can't they go to bed at night and have a good night's rest? Because of the things that they've watched. The murders, the, the killings, the, the things that, that the, 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 the vile uh, cursing and, and things like that, uh, that that go through their mind. Your mind doesn't rest when it sees all that stuff. Another conviction is about having the right language. Psalm 39.1 says, I said, I will take heed of my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So God says the words that you're supposed to speak should be kind, should be good, should be pure, shouldn't be tearing down one another, shouldn't be being critical of one another. It should be wholesome. It shouldn't be cursing and, and vile and things like that. I mean, you should be able to tell 
a Christian by how they, how they talk. You know, even when, you know, just for the illustration of Peter, when Jesus was led away to, um, to, to stand trial, and uh, Peter was there uh, outside, and, um, you know, one of the things that they said is, you sound like you've been around him. I'm paraphrasing it. And what did he start doing right away? He started cursing. He wanted to say, no, 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 I'm not with him. I'm, I'm with the world. He started acting just like the world. See, your communication and how you talk does show and reveal what God has done in your heart. Now look, sometimes, look, where we've been saved, it might take a while to clean up what's in our heart. Because what comes out of our mouth comes actually from our heart. And sometimes that odd word, that curse word, slips out. It happens. But it shouldn't be a normal thing in your life. Look at Colossians 3.8, just a few pages to the right. Colossians 3.8. Paul again writes here to those in Colossae. He says, But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy. Those are some pretty big things, aren't they? But then he says, filthy communication. Uh, I just lost my verse here. <laughs> um, filthy communication out of your mouth. So he says, you know, put away anger, put away wrath, the desire to, to hurt someone because of your anger, put away the malice, the blasphemy, but get rid of the filthy communication out of your mouth. Go to 2 Peter 2.7. Keep going to the right. You'll, you'll go past Hebrews. And James, and then you'll see first and second Peter. Look at second Peter two seven. This is why it's important that we need to be sure of the company that we keep. Because the people that you surround yourself with, you will start talking and acting just like them. Peter here warns us about this. Second Peter two seven says, And delivered just lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So here God is saying Lot was a just man. He was someone who believed in God. And yet when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 19, and here he is living in Sodom, and he doesn't want to leave, and God is, is sending forth judgment because of the wickedness of Sodom is so great. And uh, Lot wants to stay with Sodom because he has enjoyed being around them. He has now allowed himself, rather than being a righteous person, he's allowed the world to influence him. That's why Abraham said, Lord, surely there's ten people in Sodom and Gomorrah that are righteous. I mean, my, my, my nephew Lot is there. His wife is there. Uh, they've, got, uh, you know, they've got two daughters that are not married. They've got at least two other daughters that are married. Um, surely, I mean, that's, you know, that's six right there. Four people. Four people was all that was needed. And yet, Lot had allowed the wickedness and the, the, the vileness of Sodom to change him. And he, instead of being a, a person who tried to, to be a light of the world, he allowed the darkness to eclipse his light. And so you as a Christian, God has put you in your workplace. He has put you in your school. He has put you in your neighborhood to be a light, to be that light.
And what you say can sometimes make that light bright or allows that darkness to eclipse and to darken that light. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1.15. Just a few pages to the left, maybe, maybe just a couple pages. 1 Peter 1.15. But as he, talk about God, which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now, your conversation isn't just the words that you say out of your mouth. It's how you act. It's how you are in, your, in the world. You see, the things that you talk about is what your heart is filled with. Luke 6.45, Jesus here says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. That's where the real issue comes from. See, God reveals, yeah, it's not to have healthy communication because it's, it's a heart issue. He's revealing that it's our heart that we need to make sure is right. Make sure our heart is clean. Make sure our heart is holy and righteous. Another uh, conviction and thing to have is to flee from alcohol and drugs. Do not even consider drinking at all. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Verse number 1. Solomon writes here, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So he's saying here, those who, look, wine is, is going to mock you. It's going to get a hold of you someday. It's going to make you look like a fool. Strong drink is raging. It's going to make you do some things that you regret doing. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. He's warning people, saying, look, don't even partake of this stuff. It'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. Turn with me to Proverbs 23, just a couple pages to the right. Proverbs 23, verse number 29. These are warnings that God is putting in His Word for people to abstain and, and to stay away from these things because it is so destructive. He writes, and he starts off where, who hath woe? Who has heartache? Who has trouble? Is another, is another way of saying it. Who hath sorrow? Who hath contention, arguing, strife? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. And he warns, said, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, 
and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. You know, with these warnings that God is saying, look, and we know, and we probably most of us here know somebody who fit this situation. That got drunk and, you know, they, they did some horrible things. And yet, when they woke up, what did they do? They did it again. They went back to it. No matter what it, the, the hardship that it gave. It's not good to, to, to get yourself to that point. Because look, we may think we have a limit, but again, our flesh knows your weakness. It knows it can just, it's just a little bit more, a little bit more, and pretty soon you'll be out of control. Uh, another one here, not to touch a person of the opposite sex until marriage, especially in a sensual way. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Don't turn me with you there. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. To be physically pure. Look at First Corinthians seven one and two. Paul writes here now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. You see, I didn't know any of this before I, before I got saved. You know, the world teaches, oh, it's okay to go to kiss. It's okay to, to hold hands and to, and, to, and to basically be all over each other. It's okay. You know, I see the teenagers like that all the time here in Ballon College and around. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. But it wasn't until I became a Christian and I read these verses and said, you know what? God said it is better not to touch a woman, especially in a sensual way. It'll keep me from getting myself into trouble. And I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who did not take heed to this advice. And one kiss led to another, to another, to another. And they got kicked out of school because they ended up getting pregnant. Just how things happen. God sets boundaries. He sets. He, he says warnings. See, honestly, as so as a young man, after I got saved, I was probably seventeen, maybe seventeen, probably about eighteen when I read that verse for the first time. I decided I am not going to kiss whoever I want to date until I see her at the altar. I made that decision. Was it easy? No. <laughs> it was very hard. It was very hard. I wanted to touch Jennifer. I wanted to hold her hand. I wanted to put my arm around her. I wanted to hug her. I wanted to kiss her. But I decided, you know what? God said it's better to wait in His timing and His permission. And it would be a lot better than beforehand. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. And she made that same conviction. She made that same decision. And it wasn't until our wedding day that we kissed for the very first time. And it's been great ever since. <laughs> you know? And I believe, I believe, this is just me personally, I believe God has honored that. Because I made a statement 
and we made a decision that we're going to put God first over ourselves. And I think he has blessed that. Another one, trusting that the Bible is God's holy word and letting it be the love and the standard of your life. Turn with me to Psalm 119. This will be the last, last one I'll be dealing with, but I just wanted to share some things that the Bible does teach we as Christians should have in our life as standards, as convictions, and not let the world determine what is right and wrong. But let God say, because look, God has these things for our protection, for our benefit, not just because He wants to give us a bunch of rules. That's not what God does. He's putting things in place to keep us safe. Psalm 119, verses 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's not just what you have in your hands, but it's already settled in heaven. It's already eternal. Look at verse number 105. This is one of my favorite verses. Psalm 119, 105. Said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I mean, back in these days, they didn't have, they didn't have torches. Not at least not the clicking torch. <laughs> they had the torch that you might have put a fire on top of it. That's the only torch they had back in those days. And here he's saying, Your word is like a is like that um, that lamp. It's revealing the right way to walk amidst the darkness that I'm surrounded by. It lights my path and shows me the what, what I should walk. He said, that's what, his, that's what God's Word is. Look at verse number 140. Psalm 119, 140. It says, Thy Word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. He loveth it because it's pure. It's, it can be trusted. Look at verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. We can trust it because it's true. We don't have to worry and say, ah, is this what we can live by? Is this, is this really right? Are you sure there's no lies? Is it sure it's not going to deceive me and, and ruin my life? No, his word is true from the very beginning, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. It is true from the beginning. John 17, 17, Jesus here is praying. He says, Sanctify them, talk about the disciples and future disciples. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, there are many more standards and convictions that people can adhere to in their lives I haven't even mentioned. I mean, again, we could spend a lot of time going through and studying. That's where it takes personal study and personal time with God to learn these things. And when you come to church, you might learn some. When you come to uh, and, and, and spend time with your Bible, the Holy Spirit will say, you know what, look, maybe you're, you're not doing something you should. This is how you should be acting. So this morning, can I ask you, do you have any biblical convictions? Are you allowing the Bible to guide your life, to, to, to direct your life, or are you allowing the world and the world's convictions to tell you what is right and wrong?
I believe as a Christian you need to draw a line in the sand and decide about some things that you will not cross over in your walk with God and living a life as a Christian. You see, convictions are not just rules that you're forcing yourself to obey by. They are boundaries that keep you from walking into disaster. All right, how many people here have been to the Cliffs of Moher? Up in County Clare, Cliffs of Moher. Most of us have, haven't we? All right. Who has gone past the boundary? Okay. Who's gone all the way to the edge? <laughs> I can say I have. <laughs> I've looked over the top. All it would take was one gust of wind, and my life would be over. One little gust of wind. And there's a lot of Christians who are straddling the cliff with the world. And the world, and, and the devil is just waiting to just a little bit of a puff to ruin your life, to destroy it. God isn't setting these rules to, to, to force bondage upon you. He's trying to set those boundaries to keep you safe from ruining your life, from destroying your life. That's why they put the walls up there at the cliffs of Moher. Because a lot of people were committing suicide. They were just jumping off. It's sad. But you as a Christian need to stand your ground as a Christian. Don't be a compromiser with the world's standards and convictions because they will always ruin you. Don't let your friends dictate what is right to do. Can I tell you, friends will come and go, but what you do with your life will last for all eternity. I've got some friends that I had in high, in high school, in secondary school. You know what? They weren't good for me. They, you know, they, they did some things that I, I really shouldn't have been around. And when I became a Christian, believe me, they dropped me like a bad habit. Because I didn't want to do that stuff anymore. And God gave me some good Christian friends. Good friends that helped me. That helped me to live. And God will do that. But your friends don't always have the greatest intentions. And they will get you in trouble. Don't let them dictate what is right for you to do. Determine to do what is right no matter what the cost is. Don't be afraid to stand out from among the world. Don't let people and society dictate to you what is right and wrong, but hold fast to what the Bible teaches and let it be your final authority in all matters. You see, our children are being raised here in Ireland to believe that abortion, the homosexual lifestyle, the gender confusion, and evolution are all good right and acceptable. Um, Kim was telling me some things that they're teaching Ryan in the crash. It's, it's atrocious what they're teaching him. He's only, what, five years old? Six? Nearly five. And they're telling him it's okay to have two daddies and two mommies. It's okay for that. This is, this is normal. It's not normal. It's not. And, it does, and it's not going to stop there. What will they believe 20 years from now when they're adults? Will pedophilia return like it did in the Roman Empire? That's the next step thing. I've already seen posters, you know. Why, why let age be the restriction for love? It's the next thing. A man by the name of Vladimir Lenin said this, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. That's what our, that's what our government and, and our, our world is doing through our, our, our school system, is teaching them the wrong things. 
See, even God says it's important to teach our children. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So you can either train him up with good things and good convictions and standards, or you can train him up with the world standards, and you're going to see the difference. And lastly this morning, stop quitting on things that are right to do. Don't quit. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, meaning finish like a man determined to not quit and be strong. You know what? Living godly, living righteous, not doing the things of the world is hard to do because it's easy just to conform. It's easy just to do and, and to talk like the guys at work. It's easy just to talk like the, your schoolmates, you know, and the, and the jokes and the things like that. It's easy to do. Don't quit trying to be that light. And so conclusion this morning, can I ask you, are you someone who lives two different lives? A Sunday or a church life and your Monday through Saturday life. See, the standards and convictions of the world are ever-changing and they do not align with God's most of the time. See, the world needs to see real Christians standing up for what is right and wrong. And again, you need to dry, draw a line in the sand and decide about some things that you will not cross over in your walk with God and having a life as a Christian. And we learn about biblical convictions usually through three ways. The preaching of God's Word, studying the Bible and reading it for yourself in your own time, or seeking godly counsel from older and more mature Christians. You need to make some decisions about what the Bible says that are good convictions to have and to live by them. But no matter what your convictions are and how good of a life that you think you live, you can never be good enough to earn salvation. See, even before I was saved, I desired to be a gentleman. You know, I, I wanted to, to, to live like a knight, so to speak, to have a coat of chivalry. I did. I, I said, you know what, I think I was 14 years old. I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat girls with respect. I'm not going to pull their hair and spit on them and do whatever else boys do. You see it all around. They do that. You know? But I, I said, you know what, I'm going to treat them with respect. And I put different things in my life. I had I, made a decision as a young man before I was saved that I wasn't going to drink, that I wasn't going to smoke, that I wasn't going to chew tobacco, that... I wasn't going to go to do the party scene. I made those decisions before I ever got saved. And it has saved me from some heartache. But here's the thing. When I was first told the gospel, I thought I was a pretty good kid. That I was able to, well, I, I'm, I've kept myself from, from these, these bad things. I've, I'm living a good, pure life. You know, surely I should be accepted when, when I die. You know, I'm a, I'm a good person. But those convictions and those standards that I had as a young man before I got saved, they actually were a barrier to me getting saved. Because I saw them as self-righteousness. Rather than saying, no, I need to go past those and see my need for a Savior. And it wasn't until really God humbled those, those moral righteousness that I had that I realized that I needed, that I needed Christ. And if you're here this morning thinking that you have to change yourself before God will save you, then you are mistaken about who God is. You see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He knew we cannot reach a degree of holiness to become a Christian. But once you're saved, it's then that God starts to help you become more holy and godly. If you're lost this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't know if heaven is, is where you're going to spend eternity, God wants you just to come as you are to Christ. You don't have to say, you know what, I've got to clean up my life first. No, He wants you to come as you are. Let Him clean up that later. The most important thing is your soul. Because look, you may not have a later. And that's the truth of it. And so I just want to share some things this morning about these convictions, these things. They're good to have. They're good to have in our life. And sadly, most Christians do not live by them. They do not live by what the Bible teaches. And it's, just, it's good to start doing that now. Let's go ahead and go in a word of prayer. I just want you to think this morning. Are you living by what the Bible says? Are you allowing the Bible to, to, to direct and to guide your path? Or are you letting the world tell you what is right and wrong? Are you just doing what the, the, the world says is good to do? It's good to have convictions. It's good to have standards. Because I, I think I saw this little quote here. Because without standards, there can be no improvement. God has given us His Word to help us improve, to make us better, to make us more righteous like Christ.